The world has changed. I can feel it in the dice. I feel it in the character sheets. I smell it in the books. Much that once was is lost, for none now gain who remember it. Welcome to The One Podcast, a show all about the One Ring and experiencing Middle-earth through gaming, with your hosts, J.M., Richard, Ben, Calvin, and Chris. Good evening, and welcome back to the Green Dragon Inn. Your hosts tonight are Richard and myself, Calvin. Good evening. It... We lost many of our fellowship in the last trip through Merkwood. No, just kidding. Um, they have all got very good reasons for being out this evening. And that is okay, because uh, if with only two of us, that means there are fewer people for me to have to talk over. Um... Very well, Calvin, true. Calvin, do you want to start us out by telling us what you've been doing in gaming this week? Uh, well, so since our last recording, it has actually been a crazy busy month for me. And uh, we have had one session of D&D that pretty much went south. Oh, was that the character death one? Yes. Was that actually before our last recording, now that I'm thinking about this? I don't know. It's been it's been a while, but I that's the last session. Yeah, so yeah, and the last session that we played, the the warrior and the cleric both died, myself being the cleric and JM being the warrior. Mm. Um and so tomorrow, hopefully, we uh find out what actually happens here and uh <laughs> I think both JM and I have four or five different characters that we're going to choose from at the last minute, um, but I'm likely to be bringing a bard, so we will see how this goes. How about for yourself? Well, um, since we last recorded, I think the uh, the big events are um, we're our Numenera campaign is progressing, and we have headed off to. Um, uh, do some parallel universe hopping, um, which will involve space Vikings and superheroes and hopefully a beholder, really hoping for that. Um, uh, beyond that, let's see, in my Darkening of Mirkwood campaign, which I am running, had an incredibly amazing session, a lot of fun role-playing. Um, one of the characters got to meet her father. Um, it wasn't her character's first time meeting the father, her, her father but it was that player's first time meeting her father and it was a really it was a really fun role play and then um and then the werewolf of Merkwood showed up and things sort of went down from there it was an enjoyable session i think from both sides of the screen Excellent. and uh, yeah the players uh killed the werewolf of Merkwood, um but that was also the second time the werewolf of Merkwood died that session so they're not sure if it's coming back for them or not. They're going to find out Monday. <laughs> that is always fun. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's been good. Not maybe not quite as much gaming as I'd like to do, but uh, but it's coming along. Excellent. All right. So so this isn't something that we normally do, but since our last recording, there's been uh, several different announcements from Cubicle Seven as 
well as some other information turning up in various corners of the internet that uh, we thought might be interesting to our listeners. So we thought we'd cover a little bit of news here. Uh, Absolutely. So the first piece of news, uh, Cubicle 7 announced that they will be releasing a D&D compatible Middle Earth role-playing supplement. So how do we feel about this? Uh, as someone who's currently playing a D&D 5 game, I am intrigued and yet at the same time bewildered. Yeah. So so I really like D&D 5. Like, I like it quite a bit. Um, I really, really like The One Ring. Um, Cubicle 7 does an amazing job. I sort of don't understand why a Middle-earth D&D is necessary if we have The One Ring. Like, if you're going to play Tolkien and you have this system that is so evocative of Tolkien, why not just do that? And and I know that the answer to that question, the answer to that question is, well, people want to play D&D in Middle-earth. Like, I, I do get that, but I, I I don't know. I I I have a hard time imagining the the core mechanics of fifth edition D and D unless they're significantly modified, which could be quite interesting. Um, like seeing seeing how that could be good or why. Like I want it to be good. You know, I want to believe, but I I just can't see why it would be necessary. Yeah, it will be in. What I will be looking for in it is why would I play a system that's not built for Middle Earth when I can play a system that's built for Middle Earth? Right. Um, I just, it, it's rare for me to find a system that is generic that plays better than a system designed specifically for the setting. And yep. so, uh, if they manage to pull it off, fantastic. I would love to play it. I like the fact that they're going to be releasing it just so that it gets... And there are some barriers for getting into the One Ring. I mean, right. it is certainly more complicated than D&D when it comes to a rule set, and it has more side rules and subsystems and stuff Subs yes exactly and so to be able to just say all right you guys know how to play D, &D great we're just going to sit down and but we're going to play in middle earth and to right. have a supplement that does that for you i think will be fantastic i have a hard time seeing if i was playing with any of my core group of friends why we would play that right. over the one ring well, so I don't see I don't see a situation where you have a lot of people who are already um, really into Tolkien who decide that oh now that it's out for a D and D we're going to sit down and play in Middle Earth and we weren't doing that before like to me you just do the One Ring if that's what you wanted to do but what I do yeah. foresee is that this might get a few people who are maybe hardcore D and D players but have never really given Tolkien a closer look because to them it's just you know generic fantasy and they don't really think about it um maybe this would be good for those people to to actually pay a little more attention to Tolkien so I don't know it, it could be good I want to believe um but either way um I can promise our audience that we will 
we will let them know. We will play it and we will talk about it and we will let them know how it is. Most definitely. Okay. So then the next piece of news from Cubicle 7 is that coming quote unquote soon is a new book, Journeys and Maps. And to be and fair, and to be fair, Cubicle 7, they're a little bit like Aslan. They call all times soon. So <laughs> right. Um, we will we will see. Yeah. We will see. But I, I really hope it is actually soon. Yeah, so you know the, the, their note on this is going to be a 32-page supplement. So obviously they must have at least most of it put together um, yeah. if they know the page count. But um, with four double-sided large-format maps covering the greater parts of Middle Earth. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Can I have it now? Yes. I. Mm, yes. I mean, and that's, that's so like, and we've talked about this when we did our journey stuff, but map, the map is so important to this game. Like, I remember there's a point in my darkening campaign where, where the players were going places they'd been before and like basically sort of repeating some mistakes. And I was like, you guys know you've been there before. And they were like, how would we know that? And I was like, oh, you guys, you guys haven't been looking at the map. And so it's just a, and, and it's hard because we're, we're all playing online uh, on, on Hangouts right now. And so it's it's a little more difficult than if we were all sitting around together in person. There was just a map on the table, and um, so that that just made me aware that I needed to make sure they were more conscious of where they were actually spatially in Middle Earth right now. But all that to say, like some some big full color detail maps. I mean, that is so important for this game. Yes. Yeah. And and you know, tailing off of our previous journeys discuss, discussion, uh, the supplement is going to be additional stuff for journeys yes which is fantastic and so yeah i i personally am really looking forward to this one so yep it's supposed to be like a bunch of extra hazards and journey undertakings and stuff like that so that that's very exciting and then the other one which i am very excited about uh that cubicle 7 announced and they actually announced this before journeys and maps and i sort of knew that journeys and maps was coming because they'd mentioned it on the website before but the one that had had no mention whatsoever on the website was Erebor. they're doing a lonely mountain supplement uh and i'm sort of assuming it'll probably be the length of like the rivendell supplement i don't know but i'm i'm assuming that and and the cover art holy crap yeah. Cover art by John Howe himself. I mean, legendary Tolkien artist John Howe. That cover, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, folks, you got to go out to Cubicle Seven's website and just look at look at their news. Um, it'll be one or two posts down now. Um, the cover art for that book is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, Richard, you managed to find another piece of news uh, that was not released by Cubicle 7, uh, but you stumbled across it in uh, your travels across the interwebs. Uh, what was it that you found? Yes. Yeah, so I was browsing around on CoolStuffInc.com the other day, and I just happened to come across a link for a pre-order for The One Ring Adventurer's Companion. So this is another one of the books that's been teased in previous cubicle seven like coming quote unquote soon but they have announced nothing about it not even so much as cover art on their website but it is on cool stuff inc right now so i'm thinking it's fair game for us to talk about 
Um, it says expected release second quarter 2016. And I will just read you a brief list of what it's supposed to include. Um, the Adventurous Companion is the latest supplement for the One Ring role-playing game con con containing invaluable advice and ideas for every player from how to create a compelling character concept to how to form a fellowship and more. The Adventurous Companion includes a host of new rules too, from new combat options and new calling, the captain, yes, to rules for generational play, which is awesome, and expanded rules for holdings, which is also awesome. Um, it also contains new heroic cultures, including the men of Gondor, so that means that that Dol Amroth Umbar game can happen now, uh, the Bree folk, and the elves of Lorien. The supplement is rounded off with a selection of handy reference tables for players to use during character creation and play, which is something that is needed, I think. As well as, and this is what I was really excited about when I saw it, a compilation of fellowship undertakings from existing supplements in one handy to reference place. Now, that is pretty cool. It's so I, cool that we actually came up with that idea last episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this proves that they're listening to our podcast. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I'm sure we won't abuse that power at all. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the Adventures Companion is also coming, quote-unquote, second quarter 2016. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but that starts tomorrow. So, <laughs> so here's hoping. All right. I think it's about it for news. I think so. I think that covers at least all that uh, we have found out there. So, uh, I hope we were able to... Uh, clue you guys into something maybe you hadn't heard about before and uh so um all right so now that I guess that brings us to the main part of the podcast uh this week we're returning to our series covering the heroic cultures tonight we're going to move from the mountains to the forests from the dwarves to the elves of mirkwood so elves of mirkwood who are they um Game-wise, these are the, you know, and, you know, from The Hobbit, you know, the, these are the elves living in the halls of Thranduil. Did I say that right? Um, more or less. It's, it's, I think it would actually technically be, be a Thranduil in the same way that it would actually be Sindarin, but we don't say that because it's hard. So <laughs> if you say Thranduil, that's how I, I tend to say it as well, and I will not I will not disparage you. I basically only give JM a hard time about his pronunciation, and he's not here tonight. Okay, well, that's, that's reasonable. It is always okay to give JM a hard time about whatever. So, um, so these are the elves. They live in Mirkwood. They are from the halls of Thranduil. Obviously, these are the elves encountered by the um, the dwarves and Bilbo in the Hobbit. And uh, this is where Legolas is sent from. And all right, so Richard, uh, legendarium wise. Yeah, so Legendarium-wise, um, there are a couple of different ways you can approach the Sylvan Elves. Um, one is the the textual history of them, you know, how sort of Tolkien sort of came up with them and where they came from originally. And then, uh, and then where they sort of fit into his more complete Legendarium. Textually speaking, the Elven King in, uh, in The Hobbit, 
who we, we call Thranduil, but of course he's not named that in the Hobbit. He's just the Elven King, and, and they're just the Wood Elves. Is really the closest thing that Tolkien time to actually King Thingol of Doriath. So if you've read the Silmarillion, then you know who I'm talking about. Otherwise, you'll probably be a little lost in the section, and that'll be okay. But uh, King Thingol of Dor Doriath is uh, Luthien's father. Um, Baron and Luthien, a man and an elf, they married. They um, uh, Their son, was uh, whose name comes up quite a bit in The Lord of the Rings, and of course their their son, or uh, their, sorry, their, their, uh, their, their, yeah, their grandsons, um, Erendil's sons, are Elrond and Elros. Elrond is, of course, in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and Elros is Aragorn's distant ancestor. So there you go. It's, it's all, it's all worked back in the early days, the first age of the Legendarium. But uh, in the, in the Book of Lost Tales, which is the earliest, uh, Tolkien's earliest attempt at writing what would eventually become the Silmarillion, uh, he writes about King Thingol of Doriath, who is an elven king who lives in a in a cave, in the in the middle of a a dark and terrifying wood, um, which is protected by the the power of his wife Melian, who's a Maya. She's a little like Gandalf or Sauron, and uh, essentially um, there is a feud with dwarves, which ends up in um, the death of the elven king, and. Uh, so there's some allusions to that history and a feud between elves and dwarves and all these other things in The Hobbit itself, which is written just a few years after Tolkien has started to try to rework some of the Doriath material. So that's the textual history. Now, when Tolkien started out writing The Hobbit, he wasn't trying to necessarily tie it into the rest of Middle Earth. He was just writing a, a, a story for his children. And he was using a lot of the names and the places and things like that from the legendarium he'd been working on really since his late teens at that point. And uh, he thought there was no chance of that ever getting published, so he may as well use some of the names somewhere. So he uses names like Elrond and, and, and whatnot. Um, obviously, The Hobbit is hugely successful. And by the time he gets to the end of writing it, uh, even before he publishes it, Tolkien realizes he's got to tie this into all of this other stuff. And and uh, so as part of that, the, the elves of Mirkwood and King Thranduil of the Elves comes to have a place, a very important place, in the Legend of Darkhaven. Um, further, obviously, Legolas is a who is Thranduil's son, um, and it's actually interesting. I I always wonder how many sons does Thranduil have? Uh, when Legolas goes around, people don't typically introduce him as you know this is Prince Legolas of Mirkwood. It's just this is Legolas of Mirkwood or Legolas of the Woodland Realm. His father is the king. Um, and I sort of wonder, is maybe being a prince in Elvish culture not as big a deal if your father's going to live forever? Um, you know, so there's not the sense that you will necessarily inherit the throne, or does Thranduil have a lot of sons? Maybe Legolas is a younger son, and uh, so he sort of goes off around and um, spends, spends more time afield um, than he does in the court. So there, there are a couple of interesting ideas there that I'm working on implementing in my Dark Ending Mercury game. Uh, however, uh, that's that's kind of off topic a bit. But Tolkien does write about the elves of Mirkwood and then about their king and his lords. So the elves of Mirkwood, and this is all from the Book of Unfinished Tales, which is an incredibly valuable resource if you just want to know things like where do where does this little thing fit into Legendaria? You know, what what about the five wizards? What about uh, Galadriel and Celeborn? What about the Sylvan Elves, things like that. Book of Unfinished Tales, great resource. Um, I would say necessary resource for the uh, for the lore master. 
But he says the Sylvan Elves were in original in origin to Larry, and so remoter kin of the Sindar. So the Sindar are the Grey Elves. So most of the Elves in the West of Middle Earth are either Grey Elves or High Elves, and then there are the Sylvan Elves, who are the Elves of essentially you know the forests, and they're long removed kin, uh, but they are reckoned among the Eldar. So they were part of the elves who followed the call of the Valor of the First Age. Again, I'm getting way into Silmarillion territory here. Uh, but this is the elves episode. So, and 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 Jay is not here to stop me. So, um, uh, call of the Valor lost or tarried along the way and ended up settling down in these all these great forests, the greatest of which was Mirkwood. Um, that sort of takes us all the way up until the end of the first age and uh, at the end of the first age of course is this war in valerian valerian sinks into the sea um by this time uh the main kingdom of sylvan elves in middle earth which was doriath has been destroyed and uh so all of the elves left in middle earth who don't go over to the undying lands flee eastward into what is now north and west middle earth um and that's the part of the map most of us are probably familiar with and Tolkien writes in the Book of Unfinished Tales that it is said that before the building of Barad-dûr, many of the Sindar, so that's the Grey Elves, passed eastward. Some established realms in the forest far away, where their people were mostly Sylvan Elves. Thranduil, king of the north of, the, of Greenwood the Great, was one of these. And then he writes a little bit later some more of the history of these Sindarin princes of the Sylvan Elves. He says... Um, Thranduil's realm is said to have extended into the woods surrounding the Lonely Mountain and growing along the west shores of the Long Lake before the coming of the dwarves exiled from Moria and the invasion of the dragon. That's an important detail to remember as we're talking about, you know, people with long grudges like the, like the dwarves or the men of Dale or, you know, people who have a lot of history in this area. As much history as they have, the elves have been here a heck of a lot longer. The elvish folk of this realm had migrated from the south, being the kin of the neighbors of the elves of Lorien, but they had dwelt in Greenwood, the great east of Anduin. In the second age, their king Orofer, father of Thranduil, father of Legolas, had withdrawn northward beyond the Gladden fields. This he did to be free from the power and encroachments of the dwarves of Moria, which had grown to be the greatest of the mansions of the dwarves recorded in history. And also, he resented the intrusions of Celeborn and Gladriel into Lorien. That's that's a very interesting detail. When uh, Legolas arrives in Lorien, he says, it's been a long time since any of my kin have been here, and now maybe we know the reason why. Um, he goes on to say, despite the desire of the Sylvan Elves to meddle as little as might be in the affairs of Noldor and Sindar, or of any other people, dwarves, men, or orcs, Orifer had the wisdom to foresee that Peace would not return unless Sauron was overcome. He therefore assembled a great army of his now numerous people, and joining with the lesser army of Malgalad of Lorien, he led the hosts of the Sylvan Elves to battle, hardy and valiant, but ill weapons in comparison with the Eldar of the West. Also, they were independent, and not disposed to place themselves under the supreme command of Gilgalad. Their losses were thus more grievous than they need to have been, even in that terrible war. Malgalad and more than half of his following perished in the great battle of Dagorlad, being cut off from the main host and driven into the dead marshes. Orifer was slain in the first assault upon Mordor, rushing forward at the head of his most doughty warriors before Gilgalad had given the signal for the advance. Thranduil, his son, survived, but when the war ended and Sauron was slain, as it seemed, he led back barely a third of the army that marched to war. 
Uh, a long peace followed in which the numbers of the Sylvan Elves grew again, and, but they were unquiet and anxious, feeling the change of the world that the Third Age would bring. And it goes on to talk about um, how they deal with the coming of the Shadow to Moria, or sorry, Mirkwood, and um, the languages, uh, the languages that they spoke, um, that originally when Thranduil and basically these other elven lords who had come out of Thingol's realm, or, uh, out of Beleriand, when they arrived, everybody was speaking Sylvan, but by the end of um, the Third Age, all those elves were speaking Sindarin, which is the sort of the common elvish speech. So basically they, the, they took these Sindarin elves as their kings, and then those Sindarin elves gave them their and, and basically took on the languages of their of their rulers and their leaders. Uh, that's just a very truncated um, bit on the history of the Sylvan Elves in, in uh, Mirkwood. Uh, once again, if you were a lore master and you were planning on running a a, a Mirkwood campaign of, of any sort and you want to get some good background on who are these people, yeah, loud and xenophobic and maybe a little on edge, but why are they that way? Like, is are are they just are they just buttheads, or is there and that's the technical term? Are they just buttheads, or 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 do they have a reason for that? And uh, when you start digging into the lore, I think what you see is it's they're actually a very complex, very proud people. People who have suffered greatly, not just at the hands of the shadow, but at at the hands of dwarves and and men, and even other elves. And um, and that maybe explains why they are a little bit the way that they are. Interesting. All right. So, so what differentiates the elves of Mirkwood really from the high elves or the the, the elves of Lorien? Um, well, I mean, I, I, so certainly you talked about, you know, the gray elves and the, right. the others, but so What's the, the differentiator other, there? I mean, right. other so than the other, their names. So okay. the thing that differentiates the different kindreds of the elves is is that back in the in the early days, in the Silmarillion days, all right, you have uh, the elves all wake up uh, by the waters of awakening, and Arame of the Valor comes to them and basically says, "The world is an evil, terrible place. It Morgoth is here. It's it's changeful. Men are coming. They're going to be changeful. They're not like you." Uh, so why don't you come and be with us, you're more like us, and dwell in Valinor in eternal bliss with us. And a lot of the elves said, yeah, we'll come with you. Some of them said, no thanks, and they stay behind, and they're called the Avari, or the Unwilling, and they pass completely out of stories. You never hear about them again. Um, some of them may have been the, the, the Morgoth uh, transformed into orcs, um, although Tolkien revised that story a few times before he died. Uh, but eventually, most of the elves make their way. They be, they become the Eldar. The Eldar are the ones who followed the Valar. Um, they start making their way west across Middle Earth. But as they make their way west, the third of the groups of the elves, um, the third of the groups of the elves are called the Teleri, which means the 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 those those that tarry. So they're coming last. Um, the third of the groups of the elves, um, which is the largest and most numerous. Some of them break off before they hit the Misty Mountains, and they settle down in the woods, in the, these huge woods east of the Misty Mountains. They're the Sylvan Elves. Most of the elves of, 
of more of uh, of Lorien and of Mirkwood are Sylvan elves. Continued on and made it to the sh western shores of Middle Earth, but then decided not to cross into Valinor. They they stayed for for various reasons. Um, they stayed in Middle Earth um, in Beleriand, which is now sunk into the sea by the Third Age. Those who made the decision at that point, they're called the Sindar, the Grey Elves. So you've got the Sylvan Elves and the Sindarin Elves. They're essentially kin, but the thing that distinguishes them is their proximity to Valinor and ultimately how uh, cultured they are. Um, so the Sylvan Elves remain pretty primitive, while the Sindarin Elves um, achieve a much higher level of culture. And it is Sindarin which becomes the sort of the, the lingua franca of Middle-earth during the first, second, and, and a good part of the Third Age. The High Elves, High Elves are the elves who go over to Valinor. Um, of the High Elves, some of them, the, some stuff happens in Valinor, the Silmarils are stolen, and some of the High Elves come back from Valinor to Middle-earth. It's a very small number, um, but those that do are mostly Noldoran Elves, which is a completely different family, from the Sylvan and the Sindar. Um, Galadriel is a Noldoran elf. Um, Glorfindel is a Noldoran elf. There are a few other Noldoran elves in uh, in Lord of the Rings as well. Uh, but most of the elves you meet in the Lord of the Rings, people like Celeborn and people like um, uh, Círdan of the Havens, they're all Sylvan elves, right? So they're that part of that group that stayed in Middle-earth. They never went to Valinor, but they got pretty close. Uh, and then there's the Sylvan Elves, and the Sylvan Elves are the ones who are basically farthest, were farthest away from the light of, of Valinor, and they're the ones who stayed on the eastern side of the Misty Mountains. And so in the, the east of Middle-earth, you have these Sylvan cultures, and after the fall of Beleriand and the defeat of Morgoth, a bunch, the remnants of these Sylvan king, or sorry, Cinder, Sindarin kingdoms in Beleriand come east into the east of Middle-earth, and they find these communities of their long-sundered kin, these Sylvan Elves. And because the Sindar have a higher level of technology and a higher level of culture than the Sylvan Elves do, they quickly become their kings and their leaders and their rulers. And that's how you get the kingdom of Lorien. And that's how you get the kingdom of, of uh, Green in Greenwood the Great, which is where Legolas is from. So what distinguishes them from the High Elves? Well, it's it it really gets back into these these different sunderings of the Elvish people um, historically. What differentiates them in you know by the time of the Third Age is that your High Elves are, are very rare. You only meet a, a couple. Um, your Sylvan Elves are much common. Your Sindarin Elves are, but the uh, primitive in but the main thing by the Third Age, Elf communities are pretty isolated and they're fairly. I'm going to say fairly xenophobic. I mean, if you think about, you think about Lothlorien, I mean, it's the hidden realm. It's a hidden wood. It's, it's guarded by the power of, of Galadriel. You can't get into Lothlorien unless Galadriel wants you to. And if you try, you might die. Um, you think about how, how super, you know, relatively unwelcome and unwelcoming the, you know, the people of Franduil are in the Hobbit. Well, it turns out given some of their previous experiences with dwarves, they might have, might have a good reason for being that way so they're going to be they're going to be you know less wise less quote-unquote magical than the high elves um, but also more numerous and uh and also you know quite dangerous if you get on their wrong side 
So I know that's I know that's like a really long answer to your question, Calvin. But it's oh. uh, the sundering of the elves. That's that's the part of the Silmarillion people tend to stumble over. Like if you if you quit reading, that's probably where you quit. <laughs> okay, so we have Legendarium about the the elves. There we have you know a little bit of who they are in the game. Um, you know, let's do our quick overview of the specifics of you know what makes the elves of Mirkwood culture a culture in the game. So first place to obviously start is the cultural blessing. What do they have that sets them apart? So for the elves of Mirkwood, this is called Folk of the Dusk. And this really plays into their, their love of the forest, their desire to live in the forest and to live by the stars. Um, and so when an elf of Mirkwood is in a forest or under the earth, or is at night, uh, they, their attributes, attribute bonuses are based on their favored attribute whenever they're making a common skill check. This is awesome, almost to the point of being broken. Like, uh, uh, I, one of my players plays an elf. Uh, she plays Lumeran. Uh, the the the, the um, and uh, I asked her before we recorded this. I said, "Hey, what's your favorite part about being an elf?" And she's like, "Well, mechanically wise or roleplay wise." I was like, "Well, mechanically wise, what's your favorite part?" She's like, "The folk of the dusk." Like, I mean, that whole you know bonuses based on your favorite skill rating. That is that is really cool. That is really helpful. Yeah, it yeah. basically it basically makes any skill a favorite skill when you're when you're in the woods or at night or, or when it's or night or when you're underground like between forest nighttime and underground that is that is 90 percent of any role-playing game yeah i was gonna say you know it's not like things happen during the day in role-playing games right, right? i mean right it's like things you know a batman the day there, there isn't a, a daytime right yeah it's a i mean that's a what that's an awesome cultural blessing yeah so, um, did you have a, a favorite background for the elves? Ooh, I do, and it's gonna it's gonna be a little embarrassing. I don't know. I don't know if you're ready for this. Um, my favorite elf background is actually probably noble blood. So this goes back to what I was just talking about about the history of all the elves. You have the mm -hmm. You have these Sindarin lords over the Sylvan Elves. So in your vein runs the blood of elven adventurers of great renown, who in ages past chose to dwell among the Sylvan Elves, seeking refuge in peace and troubled years. Um, so that's the Sindarin Elves we were talking about. Um, the noble blood one would be awesome. And I, I have made a Sylvan Elf character, um, which I, I, I love him very much. And I've never actually gotten to play him as a player because I'm always running in the game, but he's actually in my game as a as kind of a major NPC. His name is his name is Keloth Kelagathel and he's awesome. And anyway, Noble Blood is is the background that he has. So nice. That's uh, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, if if I had to pick a favorite background, just strictly for story notes, it's the Noble Blood. Nice. I I liked the Wild at Heart. Um I, I really felt that, that captured, you know, at least what were shown of the Sylvan elves through the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, that that one really jumped out to me as yeah. that that's probably where I would go. 
and uh, my uh, the elf in my in my game right now, uh, Lou Baron, she she has the envoy of the king uh, background. Mm. Which, in case yeah. That 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 was a close second yeah. for me. That's a, that's a pretty cool one. Like it's a it's a very good excuse to be like, why are you in Dale? Because uh, I'm an ambassador. That's why. Right. Exactly. All right. So what about uh, virtues? What is your yeah let me just i'm just pulling up the page here or trying to i totally so, lost where it was <laughs> the elves i mean i mean they're elves so, you, so they better have cool virtues right like um they do not disappoint basically all of <laughs> no yes um, <laughs> I, I i read through all the virtues and went oh that one's awesome Ooh, yeah so is that one oh so okay yeah, that I'm, one's awesome too <laughs> i will just i will highlight uh a couple that are maybe not um as obviously like awesome as as they are uh, okay one is, the, one is the speakers um you've learned how to communicate with almost everything from uh, from any living being to gra living being to grass stone and water of course Lakeless does this as a as a um uh, quite a bit in the books to use this gift, you must make an appropriate skill role. Which skill you use depends on what you are trying to do and is the lore master's discretion. But here are a few examples to interpret the words of the stones in the path require, uh, to, to interpret the words of the stones in a path requires a role of riddle. To restrain a scared horse require, requires a role of song. To listen to the voice of a river requires a role of insight. This is an awesome virtue and let me tell you why. One of the biggest things that you, like from from the from the lore master side of the screen this is really helpful because one of the biggest things that you know like challenges you face is how do i make sure that my players know this thing they need to know like here's some important information and and it's essential to the plot and we both know that the more essential a piece of information is to the plot the less likely the players are to come across it and hey, so you're, you've always <laughs> got to figure out ways of how do i put this in front of them um when your elf can talk to birds it suddenly makes, hey, here's this thing that's happening 50 miles away. You should do something about it. It's a lot like it's a lot less. It's a lot less contrived. Right. Um, so I, I, I think it's a really cool thing. And then and the other one that I obviously is awesome is Wood Elf Magic. Uh, um, yes. I will say Wood Elf Magic pairs really, really well in the uh, in the um, Heart of the Wild book. There's a, a fellowship phase undertaking. Uh, you can go to the magical lamp maker of the elves and if you have the wood elf magic virtue you can learn how to make different kinds of magical lamps which will basically do different things for you on command um that is it, it's insanely cool so yeah i mean it, never mind that you can already use it to get you know three yes. different spells out of it by spending you know fellowship phases and experience points but yes they added things to it as well and that's that's just awesome i i really like how um appropriate this magic feels yes like, agreed in 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 a tolkien game going back to what we were saying about D, &D earlier in a tolkien game you're not expecting to like i, I don't want my elves casting fireball like it would feel wrong <laughs> right um, but things like flickering lights stinging arrows uh the, the enchanted sleep yeah yeah that's 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 just about right so i mean yeah well done 
obviously when you've got something like elf spells, elf magic, they could have gone some some places with that that were not as well backed up by the legendary, and, and they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the, the wood elf magic was definitely at my top, um, followed by the deadly archery. Yep. And actually, the two of them together would actually not be all that bad either. <laughs> deadly archery yeah. combined with stinging arrow, just yeah, that would uh, that yeah, you yeah, you can make a, a seriously awesome ranged character as an elf, which I guess that's that's kind of the stereotype. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I could see that being a bit of a stereotype. Yes. Thank you, Legolas. But uh, but yeah, but Legolas is awesome. He's totally cool. We're talking yes. about book Legolas, not not uh, not 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 Orlando Bloom Legolas, who is a slightly <laughs> slightly less masculine Kira Knightley, I think. So <laughs> it's yeah. All right, um, uh, the... Yeah. So then, moving on to rewards, I, <laughs> yes. I I will say that this is the first time that I have actually really considered strongly rewards even compared to those awesome virtues that you can take. Yeah. Um, so, you know, reward wise, right. We have the bitter spear um, made from the ash, the ash wood from Dolgadur, uh, or a spearman's shield that you can use with a two handed weapon. Uh, and of course the woodland bow. I mean, just again, if, if you're going for that amazing archer of a character, if yep. you don't go Wood Elf, uh, I don't know what you're thinking. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Although, I mean, well, the 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 men with their great bows, they have some sweet damage options, but the Wood Elves can really like put it down as far as you're opening volley with like extra an extra shot. Right. No, sorry. No, no not an extra <laughs> shot. An additional opening volley. An opening volley is two shots. Yes. Yes. So. Oh, holy crap! I just realized that. Yeah, an open of volley is two shots. So you get, so with a with a woodland bow, you get four shots for an opening volley. There is or two if you wouldn't normally get an opening volley, which happens. So yeah, that's yeah yeah. If you want to if you want to if you want to play a ranged, like if if you want to really put some damage down as an archer, I mean, wood elf is kind of the way to go. You're gonna have to yes, say. yeah, definitely. Well, that's cool. I I originally remember being a little bit nonplussed by the by the elven rewards, but I hadn't I hadn't actually thought hard about the woodland bow. Like that's that's a that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And, so, all right. So moving on from the mechanics to more of the, you know, the actual gameplay side of this. Um, we, you know, we've touched on this a bit so far, but uh, reasons for playing an elf, an elf um, of Morkwood specifically. They're awesome. <laughs> they, they, oh. eh, I, that's a reasonable response. Um, you know, you know Calvin, I, I honestly think a lot of it for me is, you know, there's something about playing an elf, like it's cool, it's mysterious, it's magical. But the nice thing about the elves of Mirkwood is they're pretty magical, but they're not like, you know, if you're starting out as a high elf, you have like certain expectations on you that like there's a little less pressure with 
with an elf of Mirkwood. Like, it, there's more upward mobility, I guess. I don't know. Um, they've the elves of Mirkwood. Okay, this is where we get into the embarrassing stuff I mentioned earlier. So, before there was one ring, before there were any role playing games in Richard's life. Okay, yeah, I was pretty young, so we all do embarrassing things when we're young. Uh huh. But I wrote, I wrote some fan fiction, Calvin. <laughs> Excellent. Those um, always I, make fantastic stories. I, some I of us are smart fan, enough not to admit it, though. Yes, I wrote some fan fiction. I was I was like twelve, so you know. Uh huh. Um, but when I was sitting down to write some fan fiction, and and it's actually it's actually awesomely boring fan fiction. Like I'm actually a little proud of just how boring it is. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's like very matter of fact and long winded explanations for things. And I think I think at that point in my life, I was only reading old books, so it it sounds like that. But um, um, Ben has actually Ben has actually heard some of it. Um, but uh, uh, when I was writing fan fiction, the culture that I immediately wanted to write about, of course, you want to write about elves. I mean, I'm twelve. Of course, I'm going to write about elves. But the the culture I was really interested in writing about was the elves of Mirkwood because there was so much room. Like you had to really establish character what the what the culture is supposed to be like, what their king is like, what their politics are like, what their their wants and needs and hopes and dreams are like but beyond that there wasn't a lot of canon that you had to really feel like you had to stick to so if you decided you know i want to play the captain of thranduil's march wardens or legolas's older brother or you know something like that you like you you could go there um whereas places that are a little more established like rivendell and lothlorien uh you you didn't you don't have quite that same freedom so that's um uh, i mean to me to me of all of the elf cultures of middle earth the elves of Mercury are actually the most interesting like it, it, if we're talking third age like that's what i want to play and also yeah, I, because, because my favorite spot in the entire legendarium is doria in the first age like that's my my favorite place my favorite characters everything is is doria in the first age in the silmarillion so this is as close to that as i'm going to get in the one ring um, until i do my silmarillion hack which is going <laughs> to happen of, of course and yeah, I, I agree with you on, on that. I mean, to, to me, the draw of the elves of Mirkwood is that they're they're almost the everyman elf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good like it's it's I think you're right. Yeah, and I, I just feel like you're not bound by a lot of preconceptions. Yep. There's a lot more breadth there in, in what you could do for a character. So I will I will also give you well no I'll I'll talk about this when we want to just we're ready to talk about how to call out the elf or my elf player um, about what are the things that she enjoys about playing an elf so I'll share those with you here in a minute okay all right so what about an all elf game right I, I mean, mean we, we we normally do this right uh, yep all elves all elves of Mirkwood specifically. Kind of seems like a like a slam dunk to me. Like, kind of seems like a no brainer. Yeah, um, I, I I was thinking about it, and it was like, okay, well, by default, you're set in one of the most dangerous areas that has been well explored in the One Ring. Yep, Mirkwood. Yep. <laughs> um, no end of things to be done there, and in the areas directly around that. Yeah, I. Uh, what I think I would, the way I would do it is um, in, okay, so going back to Doriath, which is where 
a lot of times if I want inspiration for how do things work in in Merkwood, I go and look, look at how they work. Merkwood is like Doriath root small. Like it's a it's a smaller version of the same kind of pattern that's going on. So in Doriath, you've got these these individuals known as the March Wardens, and they're essentially rangers. Um, they're the early concept of rangers, and they, they patrol the dangerous marches to the borders of realm. Well, it's very that idea. On the Sim game, say you could have the March Wardens. These are the people who they don't stay in the like they go down into the mountains of Merkwood and the other more dangerous places um and the reason they are there they do that is because they're the march wardens they're they're the ones who basically exist on the fringe of society to make sure that the rest of of uh of of you know the woodland realm is kept safe and um you know you've got that you've got um in the darkening of Merkwood campaign there's a ton of politics and infighting with the the men of dale so i think you just you have so many so many things you could do um and if if you were ever short on inspiration you could go, go back and look at some of those sources in the silmarillion and get a good pattern for here's how things should play out yeah i the first thing that jumped out to me like for adventure hook ideas was you know some force that Thranduil is sending out on, you know, very specific, um, you know, quellings almost, yep. you know, throughout Mirkwood or the surrounding areas, you know, he sees. What's that? Weeding as Treebeard would say. Yes. Weeding <laughs> as was mentioned in one of our previous, yep. uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, to do something like that or, you know, and then that could expand into, you know, as you were talking about, you know, interactions with the men of Dale or the Bjornings or, you know, friction with those same groups as maybe there's different interpretation of, of events that are going on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, an all-elf game. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward. And this is one of the things I really love about the One Ring is that if, and talking of D&D, you wouldn't say, let's run an all-elf game. Like, I don't think anybody would do that. People would, wouldn't feel like it was unique enough. Um, but in the One Ring, it's, it's totally plausible. And there's so many other things you can do to customize who your characters are that it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, you know, have everybody from the same culture, but still be very different characters. Yeah, very much so. So, in a non-all-elf game, uh, you know you have some experience with this, as you as you were mentioning earlier with your your elf player. What are the things that you do to emphasize the elf culture, specifically the elves of Mirkwood again? Yeah, so um, elves have not a not an unnaturalness about them, but an almost supernaturalness about them. Like they're they're the most natural thing there is. You know, nature in in its perfection and uh, giving chance to get a seal for that is you know it doesn't mean that everything they do is perfect obviously we have dice to ensure that's not the case but um you know that that there's something special about an elf and the and the world re responds to them in a certain way either positively or negatively 
Um, the other thing is that uh, one of the things that I have encouraged my player to do, and she's done a wonderful job of, is really emphasizing the connection and the ability that elves have um, with with song. And uh, when when um, when an elf sings, you know, uh, there's a, there's a great moment. And, and Tolkien elaborates on this more in some of his nonfiction writing, but there's this great moment in the Lord Hall of Fire at, at Rivendell when an elven minstrel is singing and um, Frodo finds himself caught up, not just not just he's to where he's not just hearing the song anymore, but he's actually in it. He's a part of it. He's act, living it out. He is caught in a dream that someone else is dreaming is what Tolkien calls it. And that uh, that's a very powerful example of the uh, the idea of enchantment. Which is the the magical ability which Tolkien is not just not just magic, not just casting spells, but enchantment, the ability to enchant. And so, whenever um, so, not not every time, but when the occasion is right for it, whenever Lumeren sings a song, and and she's the one who's made the most use of that uh, uh, compose a song undertaking, and she's actually composed several you know actual poems to be read as part of you know, as part of, you know, the role-playing part of the adventure. And it's been wonderful. And uh, as part of that, uh, when the when the occasion is appropriate for it, I try to narrate, this is how, as you were listening to the song of an elven minstrel, you are now getting caught up into the enchantment and the dream that somebody else is dreaming. And uh, just really, really trying to emphasize that. You can go back and look at the different ways that Tolkien uses elves and elvish songs in his books and you can get a good feel for how it should play out in a game so i think i think there's some really you know elves should be special this is this is middle earth like it started with elves you know tolkien is it's thanks to tolkien that elves are tall people with pointy ears not you know little gossamer winged you know nymphs on on flowers like they should be special and we should call them out well excellent um well uh we have I think we have put out some good information and had some good discussions. Was there anything else that you wanted to, you know, briefly highlight on elves as we wrap up here? I don't think so. I, I hope I get to play one in a game with the one ring someday. That, that would be, that would be my desire. Well, excellent. I, I hope you get that chance as well. We'll have to uh, see if maybe we can get some uh, live play put together where you get to uh, fulfill that. Yes. Well, then I believe we will call this a wrap. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope that we managed to plant some seeds in your mind about how to use elves well from either side of the table. You have been listening to The One Podcast. You can contact us with your questions and comments at theoneringpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Google+, as The One Ring Podcast, or on Twitter at The One Podcast. Thank you for listening.